G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for another edition of the Cricket Library podcast and a very special treat for all of us today. We'll hear from a man who had a big bash campaign to remember, the BKT Golden Arm. Well, he does it again, Daniel Sams. That's why he's the man with the golden arm. It's a slow ball and it's wide outside off stump. Wade has a huge swing at it. Thick edge comfortably taken by Lenton. So another big breakthrough for Sams. Daniel Sams, not just a short format specialist. He's also baggy blue 747. And today we hear his story on the Cricket Library podcast. And it's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. Daniel Sams, thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, Dan, we all got to see your talents in the Big Bash last year, earning that BKT golden cap uh, for 30 wickets in the season with the Thunder. Uh, But to get to that point, there's a fair bit of a, a journey that, that happens. Can you give us a bit of a background as to where your passion for cricket started? Yeah, well, I was, well, I still am. Um, I'm the youngest of four boys. Um, so I grew up basically in the backyard um, playing, not just cricket, but basically anything and everything with my brothers. Um, and that's kind of where it all started for me. Um, basically bowling all hours to my bigger, bigger brothers who wouldn't let me have a bat. <laughs> As a little brother myself, I certainly know the feeling of bowling lots of overs. Uh, when, yeah. when, did you, when did you get a chance to sort of play cricket with a team? Did you, did you move into playing club cricket pretty young? Yeah, I was playing, uh, not sure how it's formatted now, but it was called mini back when I was a little... A little kid, uh, I was like five years old. Yeah, um, playing in basically just yeah team team cricket, an actual proper match. But obviously at that age, it's just just about having fun and everyone getting a bit of a go and that kind of thing. But yeah, that was that was really fun. Interesting, interestingly, back then though, I'd wear shorts. But now we have to wear pants. I don't know. I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, well, there's a bit of a carryover from the Victorians in the 1994-95 Merkin Mutual Cup season. Maybe you were trying to emulate some of some of their fashion sense back then, playing in shorts. Yeah, well, I would have been a couple of years old then, so maybe I should have <laughs> that in the back of, back of my mind. <laughs> maybe your older brothers subliminally um, might have passed that passed that on. But um, the transition into grade cricket did you did you kind of do the traditional uh, green shield entry into a grade club, or what was what was your entry like into Sydney grade yeah, cricket? So my, yeah, yeah. So my club was Bankstown um, as a junior, and I played all the way through and then got into Green Shield uh, when I was 14 so I played a few years at Greeny um, and yeah basically the last year of Green Shield I was kind of playing Green Shield but kind of in and out of fifth grade a little bit depending what was happening with Green Shield and um, through there I just kind of um, got into grade cricket. Yeah, and your exposure to, to rep teams, did you ever have any exposure to some of the, the pathway cricket with Cricket New South Wales or were you kind of on the fringes of that? 
Yeah, so I was um, I'm actually I was a late bloomer, so I was actually quite little, quite short. Um, so for uh, I, I played in the under 19 um, yeah. in Adelaide for New South Wales, um, but before then I didn't really get much of a look in. Um, I do I do remember. I'm not going to name names who the coach was, but being told that I was too short to get picked. But what can you do? I can't really control that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I was able to play 19s. I remember actually quite vividly playing, this is back a fair bit, in year six. I played in uh, the schoolboys cricket for New South Wales PSSA, uh, which was pretty cool. We went up to Bundaberg and played against the other, other states there, which was good fun. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the extras of cricket that I did in the kind of underage stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so not your traditional entry in. You, you get a crack of playing first-class cricket in New Zealand for Canterbury. Can you tell us tell us how that unfolded? Yeah, it came out of absolutely nowhere. So I was uh, playing a second 11 game for New South Wales uh, in, I can't remember if it was Wollongong or Canberra, I think, it, I think it was Canberra at Monaco Oval. And uh, David Freeman came up to me and he just said to me, oh, someone from Gary Stead has given us a call from Canterbury in New Zealand and they're looking for one of our guys to go over and involve because they had a big excess of injuries to their fast bowlers. Um, and Freddie just said, look, we're not feeling to kind of give one of our contracted players just because obviously logistically it'd be quite hard to manage and that kind of thing. And uh, they, he basically said that I was next off, next in the line and if I wanted to go. Um, obviously I was like, well, yeah. Cool. <laughs> it was a really cool opportunity. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a passport. So uh-huh. I actually wasn't able to get there for the first game um, that they needed me. But luckily... Uh, the opportunity didn't um, didn't disappear. I was able to get get fast track for a passport and get over there for the next game. I uh, ended up playing two games over there. Uh, I was pretty happy with how I went. Um, I, my first game was against uh, ND, and it was against Anton Demsic. I actually played with the Thunder the last season, the season before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a that was a good fun contest. He's a uh, Got into me a little bit. <laughs> Good fun. He's a very competitive guy, and at the at the time in New Zealand, I didn't know uh, didn't know how I felt about him. But after playing with him, he's great. At least absolutely crazy guy. But um, I was able to get the last one on him. So I did enjoy it. Yeah, one of the- probably one of the biggest things I've ever did. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, one of the things I've noticed um, just looking looking over your, your career as it stands at the moment, you tend to make a pretty good first impression wherever you go. That game you mentioned against Northern Districts, 49 off 51, 88 off 74 in the second innings and then three wickets with the ball, an eight-run win. Welcome to first-class cricket, Daniel Sams. Where had you been? Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, I was, yeah, I was really happy. I, I finished that game thinking, oh, okay, this is first half cricket. What I do actually work. Um, so it was actually the start of everything for me, and it gave me a lot of confidence in, in what I do and that what I do actually works. And I don't need to change anything. Yeah. I just need to learn 
learn to apply it better. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really good start to my first class career. Um, yeah. And did you take some uh, – you, you mentioned that it was a good uh, realisation moment that what you were doing could work. Did you take that confidence into your Big Bash debut? You, you actually debuted on Ricky Ponting's birthday and probably overshadowed it in the end. Uh, Thunder v Sixers, Sydney Showground Stadium, back when you're playing with the Sixers. Uh, within six balls, you've – sent uh, Jos Butler back to the pavilion. How, how, was the, how was the feeling coming into that environment? Just, just a quick side note, I love that you knew Ricky Ponting's birthday on that day, so that's <laughs> no clue. But can definitely rely on you knowing those facts. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that was... Oh, to answer your question about taking the confidence, I think uh, subconsciously, definitely, I think it kind of carried with me. It wasn't necessarily something that I thought in the moment playing for the Sixers, oh, I've got this confidence from New Zealand. But definitely when you got to performances and you know what you do work, things like that, subconsciously uh, you carry over that confidence and, uh, and you use that as much as you can in the, in the, in the game. Um, so, yeah, that's... I, I still need to really think hard to remember that game. Like, it happened really, really fast. Um, and it's a, it's a really interesting one. I've been doing a little bit of research and a little bit of watching some stuff just in regards to uh, the mental state of cricket and people talking about when... Uh, well, like, we've, we've all heard it. When someone gets 100 and they're batting really well and they get asked by the media, oh, what were you thinking? And they say, oh, I wasn't really thinking. Like, I just... I was batting, I was just in the moment. Yeah. It was a really interesting thing of being like just in the moment, present and just flowing and not, you're not thinking, you're in your subconscious mind and not your conscious mind. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that night I was able to do that. Um, so it's really hard for me to actually re- recount how I was feeling and what, what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is a really interesting thing. But of course, uh, getting Josh. In my first over, my first big bash T20 wicket, is, uh, yeah, I think it's quite, uh, quite an achievement for me that I'm, I'm quite proud of. Yeah, and you're, you're on a hat-trick in that game as well. Uh, Shane Watson caught it cover after, I think you'd, I think it was, must have been Big Gib you got out the ball before. Uh, now, was yeah. I know you say you're not clear on your, your memory of the game, but was Aidan Blizzard LBW on the... Um, on the third one, or is that possibly ducking down leg for the hat trick ball? Uh, I, I reckon if, if we had DRS and we reviewed it, I think it still would have been given not out. Yeah, okay. I think it, I, I think it may have been missing another set down leg stuff. <laughs> I, I tried to just burgle it, but yeah, yeah the umpire didn't want to have part of it, which is fair enough. Uh, very smart umpiring. Umpires are a very smart group of people, that's for sure. And uh, white ball cricket is where we get to see. Uh, like in Australia, with with the coverage of the Big Bash, we get to see you make your debut there, four for fourteen, a remarkable achievement. And then uh, you break into the New South Wales domestic one day side, and your debut there again is a, a another really solid one, sixty two off sixty, and then three wickets with the ball. New South Wales lose the game, but um, can you talk about? 
what it meant to you to to play for New South Wales in in fifty over cricket. Yeah, so the T Twenty stuff was awesome. Um, it's been something that I've tried to achieve, but it wasn't as long term as me trying to get into a New South Wales team. That's been something that I've tried to. Well, I've been basically working to do that um, as the stepping stone to get to the Australian team for my whole career. Um, so being being able to actually crack into that team, obviously not being contracted, but still getting picked in the one day team was. Um, I was really happy with that and was kind of not an ideal position batting at I think I was batting at seven maybe even eight um, and we were five or six or nothing basically um, but I was just I just I held the thought that I had in New Zealand in that inning and it really really worked for me it helped me to trust what I what I do with the bat because obviously a lot of batters will go in and will be five six for nothing and they'll be quite defensive and things and kind of push and nudge and you know, it's hard to get any momentum back. Um, and I just thought, well, I'm just going to go out here and I'm not going to be overly attacking, but I'm just going to bat. So if there's a ball to hit, I'm going to hit it. I'm not going to be tentative. Because um, in the end, what's the worst that happens? Yeah. If I get out, well, everyone else has gotten out. Like, not so much comparing, but it's like, well, I've got nothing to lose here. Um, so I can either counter it back and get try and get some momentum back. Um, and uh, luckily, I was able to get a little bit of momentum back. Um, but, yeah, obviously, we weren't able to get the win for that game, but I was really happy with that inning. And, and that series in general... Do you feel that that helped propel you to make your first-class debut? Yourself, Jack Edwards and Jason Sanger, I think, all debuting in the same game. Baggy Blue, number 747. Uh, You mentioned the hard work. You mentioned uh, you you made that New South Wales under-19s team and you you spend your whole life working towards an outcome to, to... have that realization of, of the baggy blue cap in Adelaide there. Um, can you reflect on that a little bit for us? Yeah, it's probably the most special time, special achievement that I've had so far um, because it's always been like I get pinched in time a little bit as a white ball cricketer, right? So, yeah. And, and if you look at my performances and things like that, yeah, there is a case for that. So I've always been working hard to try and get into that record team and I have that, and I still have that desire to get back to the shield team and hopefully one day try and force my way into the best team. Yeah. Um, because that's what I've always been working for. But that yeah, so getting Coach said some really uh, nice things to introduce my cap, which is all awesome, by the great to New South Wales cricket. Unbelievable unbelievable with what he can do with ball, particularly not the fastest ball in the world. Um, it was a very special moment getting that getting that baggy blue um, and knowing that no no one can take this from me now. Like, this is my this is my baggy blue and I've I've earned this. Um, so that was yeah, that was a really special moment for me. And knocking over another Thunder friend of yours, Mr. Yeah, Ferguson. Yeah, first first class wicket. Do you do you sit down after a game and run him through that from time to time? Well, uh, 
lucky enough for me, I actually have the pleasure of sitting next to Fergie uh, <laughs> in the change room. So uh, there is the odd time that I'll just get a cricket ball and just like, or I just remember when I hold the ball, held the ball like this, Fergie, and just nipped away from you. And it's just, just got the outside to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I do remind him of that sometimes, but obviously he's... Uh, he got a, a, a bit more over me with uh, his career. Um, he's, amazing, but, uh, he's a very, very good bloke, and he's actually just had a uh, a child with with uh, Ree, his missus, a uh, cute little baby. They're going awesome. So yeah, yeah. Never die, Fergie. Yeah, and his leadership, you play under under him at the Thunder there. Um, a pretty good year for you guys in the BBL 09. You enjoyed your time at the Thunder? been some of my favourite uh, times in cricket. Um, the culture with the Thunder is second to none, in my opinion, with what I've experienced. Um, they they aren't a franchise; it's a club. Yeah. And when you talk about and when you talk about clubs, it's not just about the players; it's about uh, the administrators, the managers, the back of office people, front of office the community, the fans, all of that, um, they're all included, which is really, really awesome. And the fan days and the community days that we have, there's such a good engagement and participation in everyone. Um, so that the whole vibe throughout the Thunder Nation, not just the players, is amazing. But then narrowing that down to the players and the coaching staff, there's so much support. Um, going from when Watto was captain to Fergie captain. Um, they're both like high-profile people when you're talking about cricket. Yeah. But when you have a conversation with them, you never feel like, uh, never feel that they are who they are. They, not that they're above you, but they bring themselves to you in, in that if you have something that you need to talk to them about or you've got a problem with something or need help with something, they make you feel like everything around isn't important. What you're saying right now is really important. And a lot of people are like that in the Thunder, which I think is why the Thunder is going to have some really good success long term. Obviously, the club hasn't had the success that they really want, but I think they're playing the long game. And over a long term period, I think it's going to be a really, really successful franchise. Yeah, and we certainly got that feel with the the bit of a run that the Thunder got on at the back end of BBL 09 there. There was a real momentum. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, didn't get get all the way through, but there's certainly signs there that uh, what you're describing that's happening off the field is certainly having an impact on the field. And for you personally, uh, 30 wickets in a season – can you, can you tell us what went right for you? Did you notice anything different this year that you were doing that you hadn't done before? Or is there any change that you can recognise to say this is this is why it flowed so well in BBL 09? So a lot of people have asked me this question um, and they've kind of, excuse me, they've kind of nudged at the thing of like, oh, what did you change like technique-wise or well, what's with your swallow ball or all those kind of questions and Physically, I've never, I haven't changed the thing, what I've been doing for the last five years. Yeah. But mentally, 
I was uh, in BBL this year. Mentally with the ball, I was a lot more present in what I was doing. Um, and I, I set that up really well in the first game against Brisbane Heat um, because obviously I got out for a gold star. And my first couple of overs, I got hit a bit. Yeah. But when the game was kind of on the line, Ben Cutting was kind of their last hope and he was smacking them a bit. I was able to take a breath, think about, okay, what do I need to do now and not worry about what has happened. And I was able to focus on the ball that I knew I needed to bowl, confirmed it with Fergie, and then as soon as we made that decision, oh, that's it, I'm totally committed on this ball. Whatever happens, happens. Let's try and execute it. Lucky enough, I bowled perfectly. Some you're going to bowl in or able to win the game. Yeah. Um, but they're the, they're, they're the thing in cricket that the, the people that watch cricket and love cricket that don't necessarily understand every little intricate part of cricket, they'll see, oh, Dan got one for 38 or four overs. He went was a bit expensive. But when you break it down to all those individual moments that each player does, it has a massive, massive effect. And that's what Bondi, our coach, talks about. You can go for 20 off your first over and then the next three overs can go for 10. Yeah. And you've gone none for 30 or four overs and we'll take that every day of the week. Yeah. But it's all, all about being present in what's about to happen in the present moment. So um, there was another thing I was watching with cricket in regards to being T20 cricket. It's five-second moment, five-second game. Each ball is a game. If you can, if you, if you approach it like that, then that actually helps you to be present instead of thinking, oh, we need to get 40 off 20 balls. I need to go big. No, actually, well, how many should I, should I try and get off this ball? What do I need to do this ball? And then it narrowed your focus. You can think about that ball then. Um, and I was able to do that with the ball last year. I actually struggled with it with a bat last year, which was a really interesting thing. Yeah. Um, that's something I've been working on. But... Yeah, that's, and you can probably hear the tone of my voice. I'm quite passionate about it because I've seen it work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's been the biggest change. Yeah. Yeah, no, and those having the confidence, I guess, to try and execute the delivery, like you and Ferg have a chat and you say, we're going to try and nail this one. And it's that you, you say you've the last five years physically you've been doing the same kind of stuff, but that, that would have to be helping as well to that, that you trust in your, your your processes and your ability to execute when you need to execute and the captain backing you to do that as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I really I really enjoyed seeing that season come to fruition. And, and just on a slightly lighter note, um, how much credit are you giving to Arjun Nair? He took, he took four catches off your bowling last season. How good was it seeing him run around at short fine leg trying to catch that five <laughs> ball? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was funny. I backed him every time. Um, even though he was like running in circles at some stages. Uh, yeah, I'll back him. We spent a lot of time together over Big Bash. He's a legend. Yeah. Um, I was hanging out with him playing FIFA. Um, he's a bit of a fiend on FIFA, actually. He, gets, uh, he doesn't like losing. Put it that way. He can get quite aggressive. Yeah, okay. Um, but, 
lucky lucky enough for him he's uh he's pretty good. I don't beat him very often unfortunately. Uh, okay. And and safe as houses under the high ball. We all saw that during the big bash. It was yep. n- never in doubt yep. from Arjun there. <laughs> Now, um, just prior to the Big Bash, I just want to touch on your little stint in Canada, playing for the Vancouver Knights. Was that fun, playing cricket in Canada? It was definitely interesting. Hey? Uh, it was good fun. The, the players that I was able to play with was, uh, yeah, incredible. I was playing with Chris Dow, Andre Russell, uh, Rafi Van Der Dusen from South Africa, Chadwick Walton from West Indies as well. Shaul Malik, Pakistan. Some really big names. Really, really good cricketers. Um, and I was just trying to soak up as much as I could, basically. Um, I didn't play all the games, which I wasn't expecting to, but when I, when I got the opportunity, I didn't play too bad. Got a few wickets. Um, but it was just a really cool experience to go overseas play in a different tournament format, which I haven't done before. Yep. And to see, and just to get the exposure of playing against high-class games, like I bowled up against Munro from New Zealand quite a lot. He obviously smacked it. Yeah. Um, and playing, playing with Andre Russell, he, he's an absolute animal. Like, <laughs> the, the, things, the things that he can do uh, is uh, no one else in this world can do. I uh, remember in the final, actually, we lost in a super over, but we we were struggling. We needed, I can't remember what the actual scores were, but I knew when he went out there, we needed about somewhere between 40 and 50 runs off about four overs. And he faced every single ball. Oh, wow. And he got us to a super over. Wow. Um, but he went out there, he blocked his first four balls. Didn't even look like trying to score, he just blocked them. Blocked them. Blocked them. And just went bang, 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 block. And I, I was just sitting there thinking, what is going on here? And like our coaches, so the coaching staff were all West Indies, so they knew what was going on. They know Dre, they spent a lot of time with him. Um, Gail wasn't with us. He was over in, I'm not sure where he was, but he was with the West Indies team. Yeah, okay. He wasn't able to fight. But they were all like, yeah, just keep watching. He's going to do it. Just watch. Um, and he got us to the super over with a six off the last ball. And it was, he came off and I just asked him, can you just tell me about like what was going through your mind. Like I just want to know what your mentality was, what were you thinking? And he said, Well, I just calculated to see how many sixes I needed to hit and that's what I was gonna do. Wow. And he, he said there was say we needed eighteen or six balls, he was like, That's three shots. Yeah. I'm backing to the bolt, gonna bowl three balls that I can hit six, so I'm gonna wait for it. That's and incredible. That's an unbelievable mentality. Like, people are going to be, oh, we need 18 or 6. I'm just going to swing at everything, even if it's not, even if I can't hit a 6. Yeah. And he's there. And no, I back my ability. I'm going to, I'm just going to hit the three balls that I know I can hit 6. And it was just, yeah. Like, and thinking about that, it's like, well, yeah, that does make sense. But also on the same card, 
he can hit a lot of balls for six that <laughs> others can't. Yeah. So that's, that's where that kind of, I took that and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that mentality, but not to the same extent. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's got a big reach. He can, he can hit wide, real wide balls for six straight. Yeah. Um, it was just really interesting to see the mentality of those players and how they think because usually it's a little bit different than what the mentality is of just Aussie cricketers because there's an Aussie cricket culture, there's a West Indies cricket culture, there's an Indian cricket culture and the way that they think and the way that they do things. So it was really interesting to be able to experience that. You sound like a real student of the game, Dan. Um, is that something you enjoy about franchise cricket is being able to pick the brain of, say, an Andre Russell or a Chris Gale or even a Callum Ferguson playing at the Thunder that you don't get normally get to spend as much time with? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. Like I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really say I'm a student of the game, but when there's like a key moment to learn something and pick up something, I'll, I'll try and jump on that straight away just because I've learned for me it's not about uh, gaining too much information. Yeah. So that's, 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 when I, that's when I get overloaded. I think about too much stuff and I'm not thinking about what I can control. But it's when it's like I'm in the change room and Andre Russell has just done what he's done. But well, I'm going to jump on this opportunity and just see even if I can get a sentence from what he said and hold that and use it. Yeah, um, it's just picking picking those moments. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, I want to get some insights. Uh, recently, your phone rang, and it was Trevor Holmes. Uh, part A of the question: Is this the first time he'd ever called you? And um, what was your response? Well, I actually didn't respond. He called me, and I didn't pick up. Oh wow! <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we actually, uh, for New South Wales, we actually had a week off. Um, yeah. And lucky enough, the, the borders were open and uh, me and my wife, Danny, went up to Queensland to visit a couple of friends and we stayed there for the week. Yeah. Which is really nice. So I, was, I was on holidays and I got a call. I didn't see the call. Um, and I looked at my phone and I didn't have enough the number saved. And they left a voice, uh, voice message. And I listened to the voice message and it was really muffled. Yeah. I couldn't quite understand it, but I heard Trevor yeah. and it sounded like home and, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's going on? Like, this can't be Trevor Holmes. Like, he, why would he be calling me? And I was really just kind of in my own bubble. I wasn't even aware of what was going on internationally. Yeah. There was anything coming or anything like that. Um, so, and I didn't want to call that not knowing who it was because I was, I was not sure if it was him or not, but I just sent him a message. So, like, oh, hi, sorry, I'll call back in a second. I'm just busy right at the moment. Um, so, the message was just a little bit muffled. Who is this? And he just sent back Trevor Holmes' number, and then he called me back a couple of minutes later. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. Yeah. That, and great news was... Um very unexpected by the sounds of it. Um, can you tell us what that actually means? Have you, uh, with the COVID situation being in a 26-player squad, uh, what are the arrangements for getting yourself ready? So basically, for the, for 
for this week and next week, uh, the New South Wales players that are in the 26-man squad, we're in our own little group. So we're, we're all in our own bubble. Yep. Um, basically doing isolating and stuff. We're still able to train as long as we're in our own bubble. Um, and some of the New South Wales coaches that can't enter our bubble, they're not doing work with the New South Wales guys doing work with us. Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, so we're, we've just been preparing as we usually would. If there's no, like, body camp or anything like that, um, then, yeah, we're just waiting to waiting to hear and how, many they're take, how many they're taking and who's going. And, and any input from Justin Langer? Yeah, he just he sent me a message the day that uh, Trevor called me just saying congratulations and uh, whenever you get your opportunity, just make sure you're ready. Yeah, very good. Very good. Oh, that's great to hear. And obviously very excited that you're in the conversation and hopefully um, hopefully get that opportunity, be it uh, this time or sometime soon. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Like if I go amazing, oh, like that'd be awesome. But if I don't go on the same thing, it's not really going to be a letdown because – I'm in the top 26 white ball cricketers for Australia, so the the recognition that I've been able to get through from that for the hard work that I've done has been really awesome. Yep. And it's just another thing to say, keep doing what you're doing at work. Yeah. Um, so whatever decision made, it's a win-win for me, um, and I just take confidence from the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now uh, we, we we'll wrap things up shortly, but there's 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 a couple of questions we need to ask. One of those is your three net session options, which we'll get to in a minute. But just before we do that, uh, my research department here at the Cricket Library have extensively been trying to get some confirmation on your middle name. Now there are some public websites out there that list you as Daniel Richard Sams and. Um, my research team have got in touch with births, deaths and marriages and we're, we're led to believe that it might actually be something different and it's not Richard. Can you, can you shed any light on your middle name for the, the thousands of people that need to know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I will shed some light for the thousands of people that need to know. Um, the... So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So <laughs> on my wedding day, so my best man, his name's Faden. He's actually my uh, brother-in-law, so he's um, married my wife's sister. Wow. Um, but, so he uh, he was doing his best man speech, as his best man does, and he kept calling me Richard and... Uh, Everyone, I knew exactly what he was getting at. <laughs> but everyone was just like, what's going on? Like, why? Who's Richard? And uh, for, for the sake of language on the podcast, I won't use his, yeah. his uh, colourful language. But uh, if you all know what's short for Richard, then you'll know what, what he's getting at. And at the end of his speech, he goes, oh, if you don't know who I'm, I'm talking about... I'm talking about Dan. The reason I've been calling him Richard is because sometimes it can be a real uh-huh. and the, the short version of Richard is, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's what 
that, that, that's where that comes from. But my uh, lovely wife decided to get onto my Facebook and change my middle name on Facebook to Richard. Okay. Uh, and, and just because it, it, it was funny, I just kind of left it for a little bit. Um, and apparently now my middle name's Richard. Yeah, okay. So, but no, my, my middle name is Robert after my uncle, my mum's brother. Um, so it's Robert, if anyone, just, just, to, just to kind of play, it is Robert, not Richard. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you, if you could get onto any of the websites that have it as Richard, yeah, that'd be, and they can get it changed, that'd be fantastic. So yeah. Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T. Oh, that, Robert, yeah. that's magnificent. I'm, I'm so glad we clarified that because at, at the Cricket Library we like to get our facts straight and that has cleared up a massive concern for so many people, Samsy. So thank yeah. you thank you for that. And, and probably a pretty good lead into our, our marquee question. If Daniel Sams is having a net and he could have a net with anyone – who would you choose? And I mean, you net with some, you net with some pretty cool cats. I mean, anyone who's having a net with Harry Conway is in a in an elite group in my mind, and you get to do that when you're playing with New South Wales. But uh, over the years, you would have played, you would have had some great nets. But are, are there are there any others, uh, either people you've played with, or maybe someone you've never even met? You think, oh, gee, I wouldn't mind hitting the nets with them. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think because it's because it's the net that will kind of determine who I choose. But probably if, if we're having a net, I'm probably going to choose more the cricket an- people answers. Yep. Um, I think I I definitely like to have a net with. Oh, to really, really, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some people here, and then we're gonna finish, and I'm gonna be like, why didn't I say them? But oh. I would, I would really, this is tough, this is really tough. But I think I'd love to have uh, a net again. Yeah, you got to use Bradman. I'd, I'd love to bowl to Bradman. Yeah, and just to kind of pick his brain, and I'm sure he gets a run in a lot of people. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's a regular. Um, I think I would like to have a net with – oh, man, this is tough. I think we'd have to go with uh, – I'd love to have a net with Shower Backside just to purely see how quick he bowls. Yeah, I don't know if I'd get in. I don't think I'd get in the net. Face <laughs> it, but well, I'd, I'd I'd love to have a net with him at his peak when he was bowling absolute rapid. And if I was to choose the net, it would be at first. Yeah, I like it. I do like that. It'd be interesting um, to see Bradman try and negotiate Akdar as well. That would be interesting. Would uh, would Bradman be allowed to wear a helmet and stuff, or would he have to go old school? Oh yeah, we we, we could uh, 
we could allow the Cricket Australia helmet policy for Bradman if he wanted to wanted to wear. I think we'd actually enforce that policy if um, if yeah. Bradman was in there just for uh, WHS. Yeah. Cricket Library doesn't want to be held yeah. responsible for yeah. any injuries. <laughs> Um, and I think the last one would be, uh, I've actually, so with, with the stuff I've been doing uh, on the mental side of cricket, I think I'd really like to have a net with Greg Chappell. Oh, he's yes. Been talk, he's been talking a lot about um, the mental side of the game. Um, and I don't even know if it's recent. No, he may have been doing it for a while and I just haven't, I don't know, just new to it. Um, but he's talking a lot about um, the mind frame, getting in the mind, the right mindset, actually having training sessions where you're not doing anything physically, but you're using imagery and visionary. So sitting in a quiet room, closing your eyes and picturing, like say, for example, say I go to England and I'm going to bat. I'm going to, use imagery in my head like I'm batting, like I would in the game, like the same, like through my eyes, through my lens and face Stuart Broad and picture his timing, his action and, and see the ball and actually play a shot in my mind. Yeah. Because your, your brain, your brain doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long as you can get the same feelings, the same, all of that stuff. So um, I think that would be a really cool, yeah, well, there's some good selections. I do, I do rate that selection. Uh, Greg Chappell, uh, uh, an excellent cricket mind, and um, Bradman v Actor v Sams. Um, I like it. I like it. Well, thanks so much, Dan, for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. Uh, very enjoyable to chat with you and uh, really appreciated the insights you were sharing, uh, particularly around the mindset stuff and how you approached your cricket uh, last summer and wishing you all the best going forward, mate. Plenty of big things on the horizon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome. A massive thanks to Daniel Sams for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast and some wonderful news since doing this recording with Dan. He has, in fact, been listed to head to the UK. So hopefully, unlike when he was first selected for first-class cricket, he's got his passport ready and getting set to make his international touring debut for the Australians over there in the UK. Looking forward to tracking his progress over there and wishing him all the best for that. Some wonderful insights in the conversation. I love how much it meant to him to play for New South Wales, Baggy Blue 747. It's great to hear that the youngsters are still pursuing that first-class cricket dream and the test test cricket dream, even though the shorter formats are having a fair bit of prominence these days as well. It's good to see that that first-class cricket is still a top priority for a lot of young players like Daniel Sams. And some interesting net session selections, really enjoyed those. Always good to see Don Bradman get a run, Shoaib Akhtar. That would be impressive to see as well. And the brains of Greg Chappell in there as well touching on the mental side of the game, which Dan gave us some wonderful insights to as well 
on the program today. Make sure that if you did enjoy the program today, you do hit the subscribe button and you do keep up to date with all the latest. We've got some really exciting things happening in September and I'm sure you won't want to miss out on those. Thanks so much for being with us and I very much look forward to your company next time. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.